Primera de Pedro, capítulo 5, versículos 6 al 9. Humíllense, pues, bajo la poderosa mano de Dios, para que Él los exalte a su debido tiempo. Depositen en Él toda ansiedad, porque Él cuida de ustedes. Practiquen el dominio propio y manténganse alerta. Su enemigo, el diablo, ronda como león rugiente, buscando a quien devorar. Resístanlo, manteniéndose firmes en la fe, sabiendo que sus hermanos en todo el mundo están soportando la misma clase de sufrimiento. 1 Peter 5, versículo 6. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and for this gift of being able to gather in your precious word, Lord. Te damos gracias, Señor, por el... El, este día, Señor, y por regal, el regalo de ser reunidos. And Lord, we give you praise for this new day. Lord, every new day is representative of your grace and of your mercy and of your faithfulness toward us. We thank you, Lord, for your church, for this church, for this family of believers, Lord, that gets to serve as your spiritual presence, God, here in Visalia, here in Tulare, here in the valley, Lord, where you call us, God, wherever we go. And God, as we enter into this time of reflecting and meditating on your precious word, we pray that you would fill us, God, with more of you. Would your Holy Spirit give us understanding that we didn't come in here with, Lord? Lord, today our hearts are open and our hearts are grateful, Lord. And that's what you ask for, Lord that openness and the desire to get to know you more, Lord, and you will meet us in that space today, Lord. All glory and honor and power is yours today, God. Lord, we pray that you would give us that spirit of wisdom and understanding, that, Lord, you would even speak to us past our anxieties, speak to us, Lord, past our doubts, speak to us, Lord, in a way that is new, in a way that is clear today, God. Do whatever it takes, God. Take our old hearts and give us new hearts. Take our old minds and give us new minds today, Lord. Help us to live as you call us to, Lord. Help us to see as you see, Lord. Shine your light on us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this January, we've been looking at this entire new year ahead of 2020 and also this new decade that's in front of us. And we've been talking about what it means to go to the next level, to go the next level with God, 
as individual disciples, but also to go to the next level as a community together called by God in to mission. We talked about a few weeks ago uh, uh, what it means to go to the next level, that it begins with stepping in and stepping up. And one way that we can step in and step up is actually by being faithful and consistent, being faithful and consistent to God and to this community. By being faithful and consistent in Sunday worship, in midweek discipleship, in the different ways that we go out and serve the community, that is a way that we can bless this community. Last week, we talked about how we can go to the next level and we can bless one another by learning to be approachable. That is a way to gift others in this community by being approachable and also approaching others. When we approach others, we actually close the gap of relationship. Today, we're going to be talking about another way that we can bless one another in this community. We can bless one another through our humility and teachability. That's why Peter started in this passage with those very clear and direct words, humble yourselves, humble yourselves before God, and at the right time, He will exalt you. So we, we've been talking about just ways that we can all, with the power, with the God-given power and abilities and spiritual gifts that each one of us has, we can be a blessing to this community by being faithful, by being approachable, and today we're going to be talking about being teachable. And we've been talking about how we can bless one another as a church community. And really, the reason for that is because one thing that I pray for in this church community as we move forward in this year and in this new decade is that we would choose to bless one another, that we would choose joy with one another, because the church that chooses to bless one another is the church that is united. Churches can make all kinds of choices, right? But as a family, as a church community, we're going to choose to bless one another. And when we choose to bless one another, we are united with one another. The Apostle Peter in this passage, he actually calls for this, for this desire to bless one another so that we would be united. It's a theme throughout the Scripture. It's a theme throughout the New Testament. And here, Peter gives a very first practical step on how we can be united as a church family. And the very first practical step that Peter gives is in this verse, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves. Humility before God is the first key to unity and to blessing and to teachability in this community. Humility enables us to see God as God truly is. Humility frees us to see others as they truly are. But first, humility allows us to accept that God is God and we are not. Humility allows us to see God as truly powerful, as truly able, as truly sovereign. Humility allows us to see God as a God that can be trusted, 
as a God that is worthy of praise. Humility also eliminates all of our attempts to try to categorize and to dehumanize one another. Humility invites us into honest relationship. And to go the next step, humility leads to teachability. And teachability leads to wisdom. Isn't that interesting? As we read through the scriptures, sometimes in our own worldly way of thinking, in the systems of this world, in world wisdom, world wisdom will actually say, no, don't ask. You don't need help from anyone. You got this. But godly wisdom says that wisdom begins with teachability, with learning, with openness to God and to others. You know, one of my favorite subjects is actually philosophy. I studied uh, theology and the history of the church and the Bible and all of that. But before that, in my undergraduate studies, I actually studied philosophy. And many of you that have either read of philosophy or heard of philosophy before, maybe you've heard of this ancient teacher from ancient Greece by the name of Socrates. And Socrates is well known for saying something that was the key to his life of wisdom. Socrates said, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, all I know is that I don't know. And then that wisdom of Socrates led to a lot more wisdom. Then Socrates was the teacher of Plato. Then Plato was the teacher of Aristotle. Those three names alone really established a lot of Western civilization and thinking as well. But it all started with humility. All I know is that I don't know. That was the posture of Socrates then, but then we think of the posture of the fool, right, that the book of Proverbs talks about as well. The fool doesn't say, all I know is that I don't know. The fool actually says, I don't know what I don't know, and I don't want to know. <laughs> who, who followed me there? I, don't even, I think I even got lost a little bit. So really, the difference between wisdom and foolishness is teachability versus unteachability. The teachable one versus the unteachable one. La humildad elimina todos nuestros intentos de categorizar o deshumanizar a los demás. La persona sabia es una persona que puede humillarse a aprender. Friends, the first step toward unity in Jesus Christ is humility. That's why Christian theologians throughout the centuries have emphasized humility as the most distinctly Christian virtue. You know, I had the opportunity to be in this conference uh, last week in Florida, and it was a fantastic time, but I, I learned some very important trivia as well. So uh, we'll, we'll play a trivia show, trivia game for here for a minute. Who can name here what the oldest city is in the United States, in the, in the land that we now call the United States? What is the name of the oldest city in this land? Jamestown, Virginia. That was the first English settlement. I used to think that as well in Virginia. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone know? <laughs> Philadelphia? No. Someone say Visalia? No. <laughs> Go back to the history books there. Okay. 
the oldest city in this land that we call the United States today is actually a city by the name of St. Augustine, Florida. And St. Augustine, Florida was actually, that was by Spanish settlers, a city that was there. But in St. Augustine, Florida was actually named after a Christian leader from North Africa by the name of Augustine of Hippo. That was in, North, he, he lived in Northern Africa many, many centuries ago. But it's amazing that the first city that this land would ever have would be named after St. Augustine, a wise leader. And St. Augustine at one point was actually asked what the three most important Christian qualities are or what the three most important Christian virtues are. And St. Augustine replied without thinking, overthinking it. He said, yes, I can tell you the top three Christian qualities, the top three Christian virtues are humility, humility, humility. Humility leads to teachability, and then teachability leads to wisdom. The gospel is the story of how God humbles himself to become like us so that we could be united with God and united with one another. I had so many great experiences uh, during this past week. I'd love to grab coffee and, and share with you a bit more. I'm so glad I got to represent our church over at that conference um, with pastors from around the world. And one friend that I got to make there was actually another pastor. His name was Yakuv. And Yakuv was from a country called Nepal, from a country called Nepal. And uh, we were just chatting, and he was telling me a little bit more about the history of his country and uh, the kind of landmarks of his country. And the country of Nepal actually has one very important landmark. We're still playing trivia here. Who knows what it is? <laughs> it's, the, it's Mount Everest. The highest mountain in the world is in the country of Nepal. And we were chatting a little bit, my friend Yakub and I, and we got to talking about the first person that ever reached the top of Mount Everest. And the first person that ever reached the top of Mount Everest, it was actually two people together. One was a man named Edmund Hillary, and he was from New Zealand. And he went along with another man named Tenzig Norgay, who was from the country of Nepal. So he, it was a local and an international mountain climber. Edmund Hillary, as my friend Yakub was telling me, Edmund Hillary was only able to make it to the top of Mount Everest because he was teachable. Edmund Hillary couldn't go in by his own instincts. He had to learn from the locals how to get to the top of the mountain. He went along with a, with a local. And in fact, my friend Yakub told me that even to this day, Local Nepalese people continue to teach and give directions to mountain climbers from around the world that want to visit Everest. They want to get to the top. They need to be teachable. In fact, I learned a few years later a story about Edmund Hillary, the first man to reach the top of Everest, and um, how he actually continued his life as a person that was humble and teachable. He didn't go around just bragging and telling everyone the first thing he would say. He wouldn't just say, oh, you know what? I just climbed Mount Everest. That was the first one ever. No. 
He had all the bragging rights in the world, but he didn't live his life that way. I remember hearing one story about Edmund Hillary when he was invited at one point to a gathering of mountain climbers. And he was actually the keynote speaker, I believe, and he was about to speak, and as he was in the back, this other young student, who was also a mountain climber, saw Edmund Hillary and just saw him as a very average person. And then this young student actually then began to puff himself up and talk about what he had done, and he tried to give some, uh, some tips to Edmund Hillary on how to get to the top of Everest, and Edmund Hillary was a good listener, so he simply just stood there and, uh, and listened. But then um, he, that young student had no idea who he was talking to. But then the organizer of the whole event actually overheard this student talking at Edmund. And he comes over and he slaps the student on the shoulder and he explains to him, do you know who this is? Do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to Edmund Hillary. He's the keynote speaker. He's the first man to ever climb to the top of Mount Everest. The young student just stood there in shock and walked away, probably feeling this small. But the young student didn't know because he didn't ask. A part of wisdom, friends, is learning to ask. You know, it's a, it's a really interesting dilemma that we get into in life, right? We get into so many problems, so many miscommunications, so many challenges, so many bumps in the road because we don't know. But guess what? There's a solution to not knowing. Ask. If you don't know, ask. And I'm not saying there's an answer for every single challenge in life, but there are people that will navigate with you that will pray with you, that will walk alongside you. I, as your pastor, I'm committed to doing that. The leaders of this church are as well. Our prayer team is as well. But part of wisdom is learning to ask. If you don't know, ask. You know, I also think about that example of Edmund Hillary as someone who was humble and teachable, yet that was his strength in many ways. I also think of this play that I got to see several years ago. It was just a play of two people, two actors, and they were reenacting the screw tape letters. It's this book that was written by uh, C.S. Lewis. And um, in one scene, actually, there was a, a, a just, act, they were acting out um, this, this main point. They were saying that the, the woman of God is adorned in humility and that her humility is her strength. And in fact, it was this very powerful scene where you saw the woman of God standing firm and tempters and principalities and all of those circling around her as she stood bold in humility. The woman of God is adorned in humility, and that is her strength. And we actually see that in the scriptures themselves. In, in the book of 1 Peter, it talks about this as well. If we can put up 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, if we can put up the verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Um, let's put up 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Um, and it says, it says this. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth 
in God's sight. So that's in the NIV version, but one version that I really love of this verse is in the ESV, English Standard Version, that says this. It says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I want us to, to hear that for a second. In God's sight, teachability and humility are precious in the sight of God. That's why Peter here tells us to humble ourselves before God so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. So humility and teachability are precious before God. But you know, in the scriptures, and as we get to know the heart and the character of God, we see that some things are precious before God, but other things are horrible before God. Teachability and humility are precious, but you know what God doesn't like? What God finds detestable? God does not like arrogance or pride. Arrogance and pride are detestable before God. Pride comes before the fall. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18, we're reminded of this. It tells us that pride goes before destruction and that a haughty spirit comes before the fall. El primer paso hacia la unidad de Cristo y en la sabiduría en Cristo es la humildad. So the first step toward teachability is humility. So if we think about that, that's something that God deeply loves and deeply delights in. What is it that blocks us from that? What's the first step toward teachability? Well, that's humility as we've established, but what causes pride? What causes arrogance? What causes tribalistic thinking? What, what leads us to, to, to really um, be disunited at times? here in the world and in the church at times? What leads us to pride and anxiety? Why do we use that sometimes as a tool that disconnects us to God, as a tool that disconnects us to each other? How can we get back? Well, when we think about that scripture in the book of Proverbs, it talks about the haughty spirit, how pride comes before the fall, and destruction awaits the one with a haughty spirit. What exactly is a haughty spirit? The haughty spirit is an unteachable person. And an unteachable person is an arrogant person. Arrogance is actually an attitude. It's an attitude that really convinces me that I have the right to play God. That I can play God thinking that I need to take over the situation or that reality is simply limited to my understanding or to what I think I know. Arrogance is a refusal to believe that God is God and we are not. Arrogance is a failure to realize that each person's mind is simply like trying to fit the ocean in a cup. I don't care how smart, I don't care how experienced each and every one of us is. At the end of the day, each person's mind is trying to fit the ocean in a cup. God is God, 
we are not. We understand that in humility. We understand that God is so much greater than the unteachable person wants to admit. Because unteachability leads to arrogance, and arrogance leads to fear, and fear leads to manipulation. And then arrogance, fear, and manipulation, that's a recipe for hurt. That's a recipe that's going to lead to hurting people. And then guess what? Hurt reproduces more hurt. Because as one wise person once told me, remember, hurt people hurt people. There are people here that have studied much more than I on on psychology and on uh, therapy and counseling. You can talk to them. Sister Sandra is a professional in that. You can talk to her as well as others here as well. But they'll tell you that's true. Hurt people hurt people. Please pray for me because a part of my job is actually walking alongside and praying with people in both their times of joy and also in their times of hurt. This last week, a friend of mine who leads a ministry in another part of the world recently reached out to me and asked for my prayers and support on how to deal with an arrogant and manipulative person that has hurt others in their organization. Now, I'm not sure I have immediate answers for this person, but I am committed to praying and to opening up Scripture and to encouraging them as they discern what to do. But really, I was humbled as this person reached out to me because that was a sign of their wisdom. That's a sign of teachability and of wisdom to reach out for help. The wise person seeks wisdom. The wise person knows how to ask for help. The fool's way seems right to himself or to herself. The book of Proverbs reminds us of this again in in, uh, chapter 12, verse 15. It's going to be up on the screen, chapter 12, verse 15. It says this, it says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice and to counsel. Arrogance also leads to hurting, but arrogance also leads to making enemies, to making enemies of our neighbors or of our brothers and sisters, of people who aren't truly the problem. You know, here, the book of 1 Peter actually told us that the problem is that there is an enemy, that our battle, as the New Testament says, is not just with flesh and blood, that our battle is with Satan, with the devil, with the principalities, with the enemy of this world that delights in disunity and hurt and in chaos. The other person is not truly the enemy. Our actual human opponents are not, in fact, the real enemy, but they are actually broken sinners like you and me. People that need the grace of God, just like you and me. Humility allows us to see the truth about ourselves and the truth about other people and the truth about God. And the gospel actually invites us to go to that next level, to enter into a new way of thinking and living, 
to enter into a new way that is distinct and different, a new way that is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, in the one who responded to difference with gentleness, with kindness, and with respect. The message of Jesus invites us into this new and what can seem strange way of thinking. This new way that seems unlike anything else that we see around in our world. But you know what? He invites us into this new way of living that is like a breath of fresh air. Especially in our context today. Where we live in a culture that tries to convince us that we are God. So we make demons and enemies of those who disagree with us. Or of those who don't look like us or talk like us. And then anxiety and arrogance coupled with pride of playing God causes separation and disunity. The scriptures that we're reading this morning remind us and urge us to cast our anxieties on God. To give Him the burden. To give Him that challenge. Cast our anxiety on God because He cares for us. He cares for us and He knows us better than we even know ourselves. He knows us better than the categories that we've held on to our whole life or the categories that have been thrown at us through our life. He reminds us that our value and our identity comes from being created in the image of God and that our purpose comes from putting on Christ. Peter here is saying, don't conform. Do not conform to the standards of this world or to the wisdom of this world or to the basic categories that you've inherited or the basic categories that have been put on you or the arrogance or the pride that perhaps has been generational. Today is time to break that. Think different. Be different. Jesus makes a way. The Holy Spirit paves the way and gives us new hearts to think different. And this thinking differently will lead to living differently. Because our thoughts then become our actions. And our actions then become our character. And our character becomes who we are. That's our life. But it all begins with a change of thinking. Thinking differently will lead to living differently. Will lead to clarity, knowing that actual human opponents are not even the, the, the true enemy. Even the fiercest opponents or fiercest competitors that we may have, they are in fact not the real enemy. But in Christ, we may experience unity with even those that we once called enemies. I'm sure we can go around this room and we can hear stories. You know, part of miracles, yes, is what we talk about, healing, signs, wonders. But part of miracles is bringing unity out of former enemies as well. The cross is able to do that. We even see how Jesus himself is the example of this. In Romans chapter 5, verses 10 to 11, it says this, it says, For if, while we were God's enemies, 
We were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So being restored with our enemies, that's what's called reconciliation. That's a gift of God. That's a miracle of God. Our reconciliation, our unity, is not what we call ourselves, but it is who God calls us to be. And God calls each and every one of us to be children of God. Children of God through faith. You belong to a family. You have a new identity. You have a new purpose. You belong to the church, God's family. And together we get to share in worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are united in a mission to witness to this truth. To witness that there's more. To witness that God has made a way where it seemed like there was none. To witness that who we are today is not who we used to be. This is what unites us. And most importantly... We are united as a family of God, as a church. We are united not by our best, best selves. We're not united by our, by our best ideas or the best things we agree on. But we are united in following a crucified and resurrected Savior. That's what unites us. Not our best thinking or our worst ideas, but a crucified and a resurrected Savior. A Savior who humbled Himself to the point of the cross. A Savior who was teachable. And a Savior who teaches us a new way to live by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that is called the Great Counselor and the Great Teacher. Will we learn? Will we have open our hearts and open minds today? Because it is through the living person and work of Jesus Christ and the power of His Spirit that the church, you and I, the family of God, are eternally united. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh God, how grateful we are that You're the one that does the work, Lord. You do all of the heavy lifting of salvation, of unity, Lord. Unity is not something that we can accomplish on our own, Lord, but it's something that you are able to do, Lord. And in order to experience this, Lord, you call us to humble ourselves, God. Humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, you may exalt us, Lord God. Lord, I pray that today, Lord, could be a moment of taking a next step, of putting off the old and putting on the new, putting on Christ, Lord. Today, some of us need to put off the old attitude of pride and arrogance. It's an attitude that perhaps we've held on to, Lord, because it was a form of protection. We've been hurt in the past, Lord God. But today, Lord, I pray that we would be able to take that off 
and put on Christ, Lord. Put on the humility and the teachability of Christ, Lord. Some of us today have been going in our old way of thinking, in our old way of wanting to do things just my way or the highway, Lord. And today, Lord, you invite us to your way. Not our will be done, but your will be done. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the one, God, to ingrain in us that spirit of humility, that spirit of teachability, God, so that at the proper time, you may exalt us, Lord. The pride, come, pride comes before the fall, Lord, but your word also says that you lift up the humble, God. And I pray, Lord, for any of those here in our church community, Lord, that perhaps have been down, Lord, or humiliated in the past, I pray, Lord, that you would lift them up, God. Lift them up to new heights, to new places, God, knowing that their calling, their identity comes from you, Lord. Not about how we feel about ourselves or what others think of us, Lord, but who you call us to be. That's who we really are, God. Who you call us, and you call us sons and daughters, daughters and sons. You call us yours, God. So we pray, Lord, that today we would be able to put off the old and put on the new. Put on the new creation. Put on the new attitude of Christ, Lord attitude of humility and teachability that leads to unity and strength, God. Today, Lord, we choose joy and we choose to bless. We choose to bless you and to bless one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.